So we're going through the Bible using a resource called The Story, which is an abridged, it's just the Bible, but uh, with, arranged chronologically, an NIV Bible, with material in between sections to, to link it together. Uh, it's been really good, and we're in the sixth chapter t- uh, today, and, we, and our small groups have been going through the story uh, in, in home, living rooms around uh, the area. In our group, we've had the, uh, the kids be a part of it from, from time to time, not every week, but you know, having the kids be a part of it as well has been really powerful, seeing you know, their insights and their, their relationship with God grow. If you, think, if you think about how God works in the world in history, you know, every generation is just a fresh crop of babies who become the people of God someday. God has been building his people you know, throughout history in various ways. And since Christ, he's been doing it just one way, through Christ. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God, the perfect revelation of, G- of God. Every, every new crop of babies, God is, sa- is saving people and bringing them into his people. And if you're, if you're here and you believe in Jesus, you are part of the people of God, which is quite an amazing thing to think about. Just like when you read about Israel, they were the people of God, you are the people of God. You've been, um, you know, ushered in through Jesus. The Bible talks about being um, grafted in to Israel, uh, like, like an like a olive branch. Apparently, olive, olive trees are a kind of tree that's like the universal donor. Like, if you, whatever you graft into it, it pretty much will, will grow it, even if it's not an olive, native olive plant. And that's the image God uses. Like, if us Gentiles, non-Jewish people, whoever, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, uh, there's no one outside the reach of God. He can graft anything into his body, into his people, which is cool. Uh, the, the, the passage uh, that I think about constantly in this as we go through the story is 1 Peter 2.9, which applies directly to you and I as New Testament believers. Paul, um, Peter says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Yeah, and we do that. We declare that to one another in the church, and we declare that to people outside of the church. And, uh, and we become a part of God's healing and salvation team in the world for one another and for the world. We are now heirs, amazingly, of the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and everyone after that. We have become heirs of these promises. And, you know, back then it was, it was, it was, it was amazing that God said, I will, I will make you into a great nation and uh, increase your descendants and all these things. Um, but that was just the, the seeds of what we knew about God. That was like little buds coming out of the ground. Now we have the revelation of Jesus Christ that we look back to, which is the full revelation of who God is in human form. Uh, so we, we have an amazing advantage over those who could only see shadows at that time. Now we've seen everything. It's an amazing time to follow God, you know, post-Jesus, because we look back and we can see uh, all that we have in Christ. And it's really a, an advantage to us who, uh, who are able to just come as we are and, and surrender to Christ and be a part of his family. And in Christ, the, the Bible says, we're being stacked like living stones into a dwelling place for God, into a tabernacle for God, with Christ as the cornerstone who holds the whole thing together. That's what the cornerstone does. So uh, we are being put together. All of our rough edges are clipped together perfectly by Jesus and it's, it's, it holds together not because of the quality of the materials, but because of the cornerstone. And uh, God's able to do it. So jagged rocks, smooth rocks, he just knows how to put them together. That's encouraging. In 1 Peter 2, 4-5, to 
It says, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So everything I'm saying to you is, is completely true as far as truth is concerned. It's God's desire to dwell with and among his people. Um, and God has made a way for us all to do that through Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice. Now, we hear things like this a lot, but sometimes, because the story is, because the history of, of God's work in the world is so long, and our lives are so finite, we sometimes feel like we are being pushed onto the stage in the fourth act of a play, and not, not knowing where our lines are. We just don't know, how do we fit into this whole thing, right? But there is a script. You know, the Word of God provides a, a script through the history of what God has done in the past, to show us what God is doing now. And it clues us in to who we are and where we're going. And it's clear to me that God wants us to see the story of Israel that we are studying right now in uh, Deuteronomy, Numbers, uh, Exodus. Uh, God wants us to see the story of, of his people as our story, as our foundational story. Their pitfalls are often our pitfalls. The New Testament affirms this uh, when it talks about various Old Testament stories and says, and take that as a warning to you, because this is what happened back then. This is your story. Don't forget it. Because those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it, right? That's the quote that people say. Um, so he, here's an example. But we all have this, many of the same, you know, we don't like to, to admit it all the time, but we have the same kind of tendencies as, as those people had with God. And um, I, call, I call this sermon, Grumbling or Trusting in God, Right? This is the big, the big, as far as I'm concerned, story of Israel. The tension between grumbling against God, which follow, was followed soon after by sin, so we grumble against God, then we sin. Or trusting God and receiving his provision. Those are the kind of choices they had, and they're the choices we often have as well. So I want to uh, recap you know, where we are in this, in this story and just, just uh, think about how this story is our story. So God hears the cry of his people because of their slavery in Egypt, which was going on for 400 years. And he saves his people with a great salvation, including bringing plagues before Pharaoh and the Egyptians, signs and wonders, that many of which could not be duplicated by Pharaoh's most magical magicians, could not do it. Um, and finally, this ended with the parting of the Red Sea, where God made a way where there was no way, through the Red Sea. Uh, and as the Egyptians and the hardened, hard, hard-hearted Pharaoh followed them with all of their chariots and, and uh, technology, the sea swallowed them up, and Israel was saved. And everyone heard about this in the whole known world. You know, this is a famous story. Um, God, had, God had answered the prayers of his people, and they were, they were free. He was, they, they cried out for freedom. He gave them freedom. So now... From this moment, God is, begins teaching his people by giving Moses, his, his, uh, his deliverer, his mouthpiece, uh, the law, or the, you know, the Ten Commandments. And you know, Moses actually gets those directly from God. But the people, despite all this amazing activity that God is showering on their lives, almost unbelievably, as you read the story, they begin to grumble. And this is a word that I'm not sure how many times it appears in, the book of, in these books. That's a lot. You know, it's a really fun little Bible fact. 
The Hebrew word for grumble is loon, L-O-O-N. So it's looney tunes. It's just, it's, it's lunacy. The grumbling is, is lunacy because uh, God's, God's uh, presence is right with them. And, and the Hebrew word loon, murmur, grumble, it means to complain, to grumble, to quietly grumble with your brothers and sisters in Christ um, and not talk to the one you're grumbling against to, uh, to cause people to grumble, right? And last week in our readings, we saw that the people grumble about how long Moses is taking to come back down from the mountain after meeting with God and receiving the law. So they grumble to Aaron, which is uh, Moses' second in command, and Aaron caves to them immediately and uh, he says, give me all of your gold jewelry. And he melts it down and makes it into a golden calf, which the people worship while Moses is still on the mountain. And, and they say, this is the God that brought us up out of Egypt, this golden calf. And um, they come back. To, Moses comes down the mountain. God says, just by the way, things are going really bad down there. They've already done what they do. They're grumbling. They're worshiping a golden calf. And, you know, they're seeing dark clouds and thunder and lightning on top of this mountain. It's not, like there's no, it's not like there's no evidence that God is there. <laughs> this is a supernatural phenomenon. The 40 days is just too long. And it's unbelievable. So you see where I'm going with this. It's, we do this all the time too, right? Um, but they grumble to see how long Moses comes back down. Um, and they break God's law, which, he had j- which was just written on these tablets. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image, and bow down before it, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. This is the commands Moses was bringing down, and it was such a chaos, Moses smashes the tablets. And uh, this is an aside, I find it funny. Uh, when, when Moses asks Aaron what happened, Aaron's like, well, I melted down this gold, and out came the calf. It's like, it was super magic, and no one made it into a calf shape. It just came out, and we knew it was super, ma- super great, and that was God. Um, just kind of the same kind of lame excuses of Adam and Eve and everyone since them, right? All of us as well. They grind up the calf. They make people drink the, the, the gold water. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, but they've broken faith with God already. So God is working to... But all, it really did, did all start with grumbling. That's where it started. That's where the sin began and it led to instantly to idolatry. God is working on p- calling people to himself, dwelling among them. But no matter what amazing things he does for his people, they grumble and they do not express trust in him. They're loons. I wonder if that is that offensive. I don't think so. I think it's okay. They're like those ducks with, their, with the evil eyes. <laughs> if you check in the Adirondacks. But nonetheless, after all this, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Skeptics and, and people that don't believe in God always point to God, God's judgments and stuff. They're clearly not reading this in context. God forgives so much sin, so much that it, he, he forgives people. He doesn't always spare them from the consequences of their sin, in this, but he forgives them. He forgives them. Um, it's amazing. So God, God keeps on striving with his people. God tells Moses, this is what we, we read last week in our readings. We didn't do it in the sermon, but we, I'll recap it here. He makes a portable tent system. It's designed by God. Uh, which contains an area where God's manifest presence dwells, which is the Holy of Holies. This is an amazing thing. God's presence is here 
in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. God chooses to constrain himself to this spot because he wants to dwell among his people, right? It's an amazing thing. And even here, um, in, in this place, God speaks to his people in, in the design of the tabernacle about what his desire is for his people. He had, he, God gave gifts to someone named Bezalel and Oholiab, a woodworker and a metalworker, and they did like museum-quality, amazing artwork to make all the instruments in the temple and the worship. And, you know, the, like the, the, the lampstands were shaped like olive trees with branches coming out of them and, and olive buds and olives, and, uh, and I'm sorry, uh, almond buds coming out of them. And, and this is, the, even these accoutrements were meant to look kind of like a garden. Like, 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 like God saying, it didn't work out in the Garden of Eden, but here I am, I'm still here. I'm your covenant partner. I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you in this place. What a beautiful thing that is. And I, and I think this is a, a, a good time to say, you know, we have spiritual gifts that we talk about in church, that people have gifts of teaching, preaching, helps, uh, di- different, different types of ministry, deliverance, um, encouragement, exhortation. You know, these are all gifts that God gives to the church, and there's lots of them. But God also gives special gifts to certain people to accomplish his purposes that are kind of off the charts, not on the books. And Bezalel and Aholiab were people that God gave spiritual gifts to, to do metalwork and, and stuff like that, you know? And that's a, that's a really cool thing to realize that, like, the scope of God's gifts is sometimes outside of what we think, and God might have a special purpose for your life to do something. Um, it says that he gave a gift of leadership to uh, Joshua, I, I believe, and things like that. God does that all the time, and then he uses people, those gifts in the world. But in this place, uh, God is saying once again, I want to dwell among my people. So the people of Israel were, were led by a cloud by day and a pillar by night. Uh, this is our, our reading this week. And they, they left Mount Sinai as God led them. All 12 tribes of Israel, all you know, a million plus people are marching along, following the cloud, following the fire. And you know, at this point, you know, God had rescued his people from slavery, which is what they asked for. He showed them his power. He guided their steps given them the law, shown them what happens when they break the law, right? It seems like plenty of material for these people to keep their hope up and their, and their constancy up. You know, maybe, maybe now they are going to follow God, right? Well, unfortunately, the Israelites continued to grumble against God, and uh, they actually were explicitly blaming God for, the, for their small-scale hardships, so it's the equivalent of God delivers you from slavery, and then you're like, there's a rock in my boot. God, you don't love me. You know, it's like really, really messed up. Um, they, they murmured. The, uh, fire broke out in parts of the camp. And, and again, once, once, again, again, Moses prays to God, and God, God forgives and relents. Uh, he's teaching them to live with him. People complained they didn't like the food the Lord provided, the manna. And so God uh, provided quail for them. But as, as God says he will provide meat for the Israelites, Moses says, there's no way you can do this. There's not enough animals to feed all these people. And God's like, Moses, Moses, is my arm too short to save? Like just even, even the spokesperson here is having trouble. Then Moses' leadership team turns against him. Miriam and Aaron, uh, they, they're, they're like, we don't like the race of Moses' wife. She's a Cushite. And so they grumbled against Moses for having the wrong 
wife, which is really messed up. Um, and then they said, you know what? God doesn't just speak to Moses, who's married to this, uh, this woman that we think is, is bad. Uh, he speaks to us, too. Why, why is Moses so favored? So God calls a meeting. And uh, it ends with God mercifully sparing their lives, but Miriam had leprosy. Uh, and they, they realized we shouldn't have sinned against God's man here. Then uh, Moses prays for her healing, and God r- relents. God heals her. But he says, but you have to go outside of camp and quarantine for 10 days. Uh, it's actually seven days. Um, but nonetheless, I just thought it'd be fun to talk about that. Um, but that, that's Miriam, and they, they kind of learned, learned there not to, not to, not to grumble against the, their leadership. God then tells Moses to send men to spy on the land he's giving the people of Israel. And the, the men come back just impressed by the land of Canaan and how beautiful it is and how rich it is. And they're carrying these giant clusters of grapes on, on a rod just between them because they're such big produce. But also, there's big people there and big, strong people with big, strong armies. And so out of all those spies, Caleb is the only one who gives a report saying, lots of big people, lots of big grapes, but God can do this. Let's go. Everyone else says it's too dangerous, uh, which, was, which was a problem. I love Caleb because talking about different gifts that God gives to different people, what it says in the scripture is, now Caleb had a different spirit than other people. And there is no explanation as to what that means. But he was just different. He had, like, much like Joshua, who eccentrically, um, not eccentrically, but beautifully, really, he, went, he was in the tent of meeting with Moses and God, and Joshua just stayed there all the time. Moses came and went, and Joshua stayed there. There's something different about Joshua. And Joshua had a gift of leadership. But, you know, God gives different gifts. But after uh, all, these, all the soldiers, are, the spies are talking about how dangerous it is, the people follow suit and they start grumbling against Moses again, saying, if only we died in Egypt or in the wilderness. So we're seeing a pattern of grumbling, lots of grumbling. And Moses and Aaron fall face down and beg the people not to grumble anymore. Please. And the people responded by plotting to stone them to death. This is a really tough story. God then expresses to his friend who he calls, his, Moses who he calls his friend, and many times in this, in this uh, he expresses how he really feels about things. He says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I've performed among them. I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Now, God, God is sharing his real, his real heartache here. Like, uh, it's like a situation of adultery to God. That's what this is. A cheating in a serious way. But, God, but Moses intercedes before God, and then again, God forgives them. God was just sharing how he was feeling about that situation. And of course, God knew what he was going to do before it happened. But because of all of this, because he, they, the people had treated God with contempt and not trusted God, and they grumbled against God, um, no one who is over 20 years old is going to make it into the promised land. He just says, we're, we're waiting uh, for 40 years, and when this generation is going to get what they asked for, they asked me to, that they should die in the desert. Do you remember that prayer? If only we'd stayed in Egypt, or we could just die in the wilderness. And God's like, your wish is granted. So these people wandered around and they weren't able to enter the promised land. So grumbling, complaining, plotting, unbelieving. You know, Pharaoh, for all of his foibles and wickedness, you know, these are similar attributes. 
Because people are like this, and we're like this. So the Israelites wandered in the wilderness until for 40 years. And, uh, and then they get on the, on the edge of the promised land. And everyone who was over 20 years old, the, the generation, had, had passed away. But unfortunately, this new crop of people is also much like their forefathers. And the people now 40 years later on the edge of the promised land grumble about a lack of water. And they, they again say, we wish we were dead. God tells Moses to gather the people and speak to the rock and water will come from it. Apparently, they had a rock they were carrying around with them that provided water miraculously. That's what it appears to be. So um, speak to the rock and water will come from it. But instead, Moses hits the rock with his staff twice and he chastises the people. And he talks as though, I'm bringing my own judgment on you people. He says, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Boom, boom. And because of this, for this offense, Moses himself was not able to enter the promised land because God said, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. It's a really sad, really sad, that consequence that Moses got. And it seems unduly harsh to many who read the story, and it really is a harsh thing, but you have to understand, Moses dishonored God and did not give God any kind of credit or thought. He just said, must you, he just vented on them and whacked the rock. I mean, it was, it was, an, it was something that could not, could not be, and God decided he couldn't go in the promised land. Aaron dies. People begin to conquest the land. Once again, the, the people ask, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, no water. There, there's a time when a plague comes upon them, and, and uh, they're told to, to make a bronze snake and hold it up on a pole, and anyone who looks to the snake was healed of the plague. That was a picture of, of looking to Christ. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. That was, that was a, a, a foreshadowing there. And after some kind of conquest uh, started happening, the Israelites came to a place called Shittim. I'm going to pronounce it that way, okay? Um, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. So God tells Moses, you know, you, you, can, you can look at promised land, but you cannot enter into it. And then all of these people are, are doing this sin. So God, God, God transfers leadership of the people from, from Moses to Joshua. And then Moses gives his final speech. He says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you, is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase in the land and the Lord your God will bless you in the land where you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day you will certainly be destroyed. 
you will not live in, long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So after the speech, Moses, you know, he's essentially saying, this is not too hard. God's fathering you, and this is your developmental stage. You are, you're a big enough boy, a big enough girl to, follow, to understand this and, and to do these things. It's not beyond your reach. Because God, in his mercy, doesn't ask us to do something that he, we're not able to do, right? So Moses climbs the mountain one last time. God shows him the entire promised land from the top of this mountain. Um, just an act of love for a friend that God does. And then he dies. And it says that God himself buries Moses with his own hand. Because there's no one that's ever lived who's been a, a closer friend, God says, than, than Moses, who, who knew me face to face as a person knows his friend. It's a really beautiful, beautiful part of the story. So this, this is the script. As I, as I said in the beginning, we often feel like we come to church and it's all very disconnected from the bigger story, uh, that we're entering the fourth act of a play without ever seeing the script. But this, this story of Israel is our script. And the New Testament declares that this is so. This is, not this is not an irrelevant story. This story of God's people grumbling like a bunch of loons <laughs> is directly applic applicable to all modern-day Christians. Grumbling against God is nothing new. It's just as corrosive to us as it was to the Israelites. It's a sober warning for us who live on this side of the cross. As we look back to what Jesus did, the full revolution of God, we have so much, so much. But yet we can often be like the Israelites. You know, it's Moses is taking too long. Let's do something else. It's a sober, it's a sober thought. But I want to tell you exactly what we're going to make of the story of Israel, of this wandering in the desert, of the grumbling, the complaining, of being forgiven by God, of, of receiving consequences for their behavior. And I want to inter interpret this story as we close today, letting Paul himself, God's apostle and main commentator on the Old Testament, tell us exactly what the story should mean to us as modern Christians. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-13. With all the story of Israel in mind, Paul speaks to us on this side of the cross. He says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate and drank, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. That's very interesting. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. This word is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament Hebrew word for grumbling. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us 
on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Christ being the culmination of everything that happened before and everything that will come after him. This is written as an example for us in 2021, Saratoga. So if you think you are standing firm as a Christian, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. This is very much a direct reflection of Moses' speech. This is not on a mountain, so you have to go find it. It's not across the sea, so you have to voyage to it. The word is close to you. It's near your mouth. You know it. You can do it. You know, and Paul's saying, with the benefit of the Holy Spirit being given to all believers now in this day that we live, Christian, if you think you're standing firm, be careful. You do not fall. There's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. That's a promise of God. God will always provide a way out for the person that sincerely is looking for that way out. And you know, many areas were, were talked about. Sexual immorality, grumbling, idolatry. These are all things that we struggle with today. So today is, is, is a sobering day from the Word, which is important sometimes, where we're being told by God's living Word not to rest on our laurels after we've been saved, after we've trusted in Christ, not, not to let our guard down, not to think we are standing firm when perhaps we aren't. But we must continue to trust in God and avoid the sin of grumbling against Him, which leads to every other kind of sin. Because as Paul says to us in the New Testament, the, you know, he says that you, you heard twice in that 1 Corinthians passage that we must heed the example of what went wrong with God's people in the past and keep ourselves from the same unbelief and faithlessness that led to grumbling and death. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Paul says that we are the same as the Israelites, that just as modern-day Christians get baptized in water as a public declaration of their faith and they become a part of the people of God as a public declaration, so the Israelites were baptized to become the people of God as they passed through the Red Sea. That misting of water was equivalent, right? Just as Israel ate and drank the spiritual food provided by God and drank water from the rock they carried with them, which Paul identifies as Christ himself, so we eat and drink Christ's sustaining body and blood figuratively at the communion table each month. That's what we do. We're remembering the body and blood of Jesus through these elements, these symbols. And just as they ate and drank from God, we, we eat and drink from God. Through these symbols, we're showing ourselves to be God's people. And his people Israel, the continuation of his people. But Paul says, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. And God was not pleased with them because of their faithlessness, which led to grumbling, which led to sexual immorality, worshiping cultural idols of the people around them. Something Paul calls, calls testing Christ. And it's so easy to, to think of the many ways we fall into these same types of patterns. If God was not pleased um, with his baptism, if God, 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 is, God, is, God is pleased when we choose to do 
live our spiritual lives putting into practice the things we know. You know, in James it says, a person who looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like is how a lot of Christians live. You look in the mirror, you're in church, you feel conviction. As you're driving home, it's fading, 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 gone, and you're just back to whatever you were doing. But we have to look into the mirror, look and see, are we, are we grumbling? Are we, are we participating in sexual immorality, what God calls sexual immorality? Are we, um, how are we uh, uh, worshiping idols instead of God and trusting in things other than God? We're to take the story of Israel as our story. And Paul says, as a warning. Even Paul himself, who was just an incredible Christian man, this is how he describes his own journey. And as the worship band comes up, I'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's taking the advice. If you think you're standing firm, look out. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. And now God's promise to us this morning, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. What a God we serve. What a promise. God, we thank you that you have chosen to make your dwelling among us. Jesus, we, we praise you for your plan. We thank you, we thank you for the warning. Pray that you inspire us to really take take this seriously, being a part of your people, and to become refined and to be useful for your purposes in this world and among this church itself. In Jesus' name.